All right, if you would, take your Bible and open to Genesis chapter 48. Thank you, choir, for for that. That was incredible. Um, Genesis chapter 48, I realize this is not continuation of our study in the Gospel of Matthew. We will pick that right back up next, next Sunday, as is the case with many pastors this morning, many churches. We're going to look in a little bit different direction this morning, unique circumstances, and then we're going to jump right back in next week with the Gospel of Matthew and continue on into Easter, finishing up that Gospel at, at Easter in a couple of weeks. But this morning, Genesis chapter 48, a couple of things up front. First, I know we don't have uh, child care, nursery care this morning. We are so glad your kids are in here with us. Not going to bother me, <laughs> I can tell you that. If you feel uncomfortable and you feel like you need to step out, we have the service on the TVs out in the lobby. Feel free to go and, and use that. We want you to have that option, but we're just glad you're here. If you're watching at home, you're in charge of your own kids, so just uh, do, do your best. We can't help you, can't help you with that. But what I want to share with you this morning is something that I had a chance to share with the OU Fellowship of Christian Athletes on Tuesday night. My daughter Austin and I got to go to the OU FCA event on Tuesday night. We were able to share with them. And what we shared with them on Tuesday night really took hold Wednesday and Thursday, and I felt like it was something we needed to talk about together this morning as a church. Strange story in the Old Testament, maybe one you're not familiar with, but very important. Genesis 48, starting in verse 8. When Israel, this is speaking not of the country, but of the person, uh, not the people, but the person Jacob, saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand, and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger. And his left hand, he lay, left hand, he laid on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Verse 15, And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph, in verse 17, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall also become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, 
and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings. God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Then he put Ephraim before Manasseh. This is the word of the Lord. All right, here's what we need to see from this passage to make sense of what's happening here. This passage follows a pattern that you will find all over the Old Testament, and frankly, it shows up a lot in the New Testament as well, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, but it's a very common pattern, and it's A-B-A, where a story will begin, and then something will be placed in the middle of the story, and then that initial story will be finished. Now, when you learn about this pattern, you begin to practice picking it up in the Old Testament. If you find yourself in a hermeneutics class or a Bible interpretation class or you find yourself in Bible college, they will teach this pattern and they'll use the word chiasm to talk about it. And they'll usually talk about a mountain. Bottom of the mountain goes to the top, goes back down to the bottom. Now, there's only one problem with that. I went to seminary in New Orleans. Do you know what they do not have in New Orleans? Mountains, yeah, there are no mountains in New Orleans. In fact, if you go to New Orleans to the city zoo, they have built a hill in the city zoo called Monkey Hill because the kids in New Orleans had never seen a hill or a mountain before. So they built this hill so kids could practice running up the hill and down the hill in the city zoo, or you have to go to the levees and practice going down the levees. That's all you have there in New Orleans is, th- is this mountain. No mountains, but you know what you do have? po'boys. You do have po'boys in New Orleans. If you don't know what a po'boy is, it's really just a glorified Subway sandwich, but never tell anybody from New Orleans that, or you will be in so much trouble. Uh, A a po'boy is a sandwich made with this very incredible freshly baked bread, and then in the middle, generally you'll have shrimp or oysters, or sometimes they'll make them with roast beef and they'll slather them in this brown gravy. But po'boys are how we learn this pattern in Scripture, not mountains. You have a piece of bread, you stick the meat in the middle, and then you have another piece of bread that finishes out the sandwich. In this type of theme, when you see this in Scripture, the meat or the tip of the mountain, if you're into that kind of thing, uh, whatever's in the core, whatever's in the middle, is meant to receive a particular focus. And the way that this passage works is right in the middle, you have this blessing that is placed on these grandsons, where Jacob is able to place a blessing on his grandsons, and it forms the meat. It forms the core of the passage. Go back to verse 15. Let's look at this core for just a second, because this is meant to be the tipping point. This is meant to be the meat, the core. Here's what it says in verse 15. He blessed Joseph. And through blessing Joseph, he's going to pass the blessing on to the grandkids. And said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. In the process of blessing them, he is teaching them about God's character. This God who has brought us to this point, he is a God who guides his people. You can be sure of this. That man might prepare his steps, but it's the Lord who directs his path. That the Lord is the one who is always there saying, go this way and go this way. He guides his people. You can be sure of this. The God in the middle of 15, who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. That brings Psalm 23 to mind. But all throughout the Old Testament, Ezekiel, 
Jeremiah, especially Zechariah, you have these images of God being a shepherd who cares for and provides for his people. So as Jacob is pronouncing this blessing on his grandkids through his son Joseph, he is teaching them about the character of God. God is going to guide you. God is going to provide for you. He is a perfect shepherd. Verse 16, the angel, the ministering power of God, who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. This is the word that is used in the book of Ruth for Boaz being the kinsman redeemer, the one who will rescue, the one who will redeem. But think about, remember, this blessing is being given to Joseph. Think about how powerful this would have been for Joseph when he is there in Egypt. And it says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that what his brothers had planned for evil, God has actually used for good and for the saving of many people. Jacob is teaching his son and his grandkids that God is a God who redeems. That there are situations that are going to happen where there's so much evil, there's so much difficulty in the world, and what was planned or meant for evil, God is constantly using for good. The story of God throughout Scripture is that God redeems difficult and painful situations for his glory and for his purposes. What do you find at the second half of 16? And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What's he talking about here in this blessing? That God is faithful, that God's promises will continue to go forward. If that language sounds a little bit familiar, it's because this blessing in Genesis 48 is meant to reflect Genesis chapter 12, where this process gets started with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. If you look on the screen, Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So here's what I want you to see. In this story in Genesis chapter 48, God's character is at the core. This whole thing is built around this blessing that is given that reflects and reminds the next generation about God's character. What do we want to know about that? What do we want to hold on there? Remember, what you believe about God, your understanding of God's character forms the core of your life, forms the foundation of your life. You might say, you know what? I don't know very much about the Bible. I'm not a theologian. I, we all have beliefs about God. And what you believe about God and about his character will form the core of your life. It's the meat of the sandwich. It's the tip of the mountain. This is, this is what makes the difference. And so we have to commit ourselves. We want to know the Lord. We want to know who he is. We want to know how he works in the world. We want to know his character so that we can worship him and live for him. When we get past Easter here at Emmaus, we're going to go into a series of sermons simply called, Who is God? We're going to begin to look about the character of God. What does Scripture teach about who God is and how he works in the world? Because we want to know that it forms that foundation. Here's the other thing. Don't miss from this story in Genesis 48. How is God's character communicated from one generation to the next? 
older generations, I know you want to leave an inheritance for your kids and your grandkids, but in times like this last week, that inheritance can feel a little bit shaky. The greatest blessing you can give the next generation is to share, to bless them with the truth of God's character. The greatest thing you can pass to your kids, the greatest thing you can pass to your grandkids is to tell them God will guide you, God will provide for you, God will redeem your life, and God is unbelievably faithful. And let me just speak that over you. Let me speak that into your life. Whatever that looks like in your family, whether that's you're writing your kids letters to tell them that, whether that's you're just verbalizing that over them as you're around them, whatever that looks like, the greatest blessing you can give is to say, I want you to know this is who your God is. And this is how he's worked in my life, and this is what it will look like or could look like in your life. Now the flip of that is for those who are younger to say, I need people in my life teaching me about who God is. I want that. All these studies that we find about whether or not kids continue in their faith after high school or after college, just about every study, the difference makers are, one, they're in God's word, and two, they have some adult other than their parent who is teaching them the way of God. As a parent, you say something to your kids and it goes in one ear, out the other. Person X says the same exact words to those kids and they're like, oh, that's the most brilliant thing I've ever heard of. And you're like, I just said the same thing, but it's somebody else said it and all of a sudden we listen. When you have someone, especially from an older generation, speaking the truth of God's character in your life, that makes all the difference in how we live. What do we know about God? He guides us, he provides for us, he redeems situations that look so incredibly bad, and he is unbelievably faithful. That forms the core of this story. But here's the question. What's going on around the story? Back up to verse 8. So in the middle, the meat of the sandwich is God's character. But back up to verse 8 for a second. What's happening here? It says that when Israel, we're talking about Jacob, this, this patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when he saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. This story is happening in Egypt. Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery and sent him down to Egypt. And yet God watched over him and allowed him to, to rise to a place of prominence in Egypt. Joseph's brothers came down to Egypt needing food. Joseph was able to provide for them, and then he brought his whole family down there. What I love about this story is you have three generations coming together. Those of us who were close to our grandfathers, this is one of those stories you love so much because you have the meeting of generation. Here is a grandfather presumably meeting his grandkids for the first time. He's able to see them. Those of us who have kids, we realize that our main job is to house the grandkids. That's really my main job in life, is just to provide a place for grandkids to live. And if I do anything else, that's, that's extra. But I provide a place for grandkids to live. This is kind of what's happening with Joseph. He's provided a place for these grandkids, and now they're meeting their grandfather for the first time. And so in verse 10, you have this situation that's set up. It says in verse 10, Now the eyes of Israel... The grandfather were dim with age. That means he was going blind. He couldn't see well. This is the blind old man here serving as the grandfather. So that he could not see. 
So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed the grandkids, removed the boys from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And then watch what happens in 13. Joseph took them both. Ephraim, who is the younger, he took in his right hand and moved him toward Israel's left hand. And Manasseh, in his left hand, he moved toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Okay, I know it's a little bit confusing, but let's make sure we understand. The grandfather can't see well, all right? He's pretty much blind, but he's meeting the grandkids. This blessing is going to take place, and so Joseph sets up the situation. He moves his, grandki- he moves his boys close to their grandfather so that Israel will be able to reach out his right hand. What was the right hand? It was the primary blessing. It was the hand of strength. It was the hand of the primary blessing, and it would go on the older of the boys, and he would put his left hand on the younger of the boys. But what happens in 14? Verse 14, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, it might be surprising, but I was actually able to find some video of this situation in the Bible. I want you to see this video of what happened in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Who knew that Jacob was AI and his son was Jordan? So, uh, the greatest crossover in history belong to Allen Iverson, okay? So in the midst of all the chaos this last week in our, in our nation, we just passed the anniversary of when Iverson crossed up Jordan. Some people think that's the greatest crossover in history. Genesis 48 is the greatest crossover in history. Because here's this situation set up where Jacob is going to bless the grandkids Joseph set it up, and he crosses him up. He crosses his hands. Look in verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not that way, you blind old man. Uh, Something like that. So, not this way, my father. Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. Now, I'm the oldest of, of three kids, and so I love the idea of the primary blessing going to the, uh, to the older kid. My younger brothers always claim things like they got the hand-me-downs and they didn't get things as well. I don't remember it that way as L. I, I remember them being babied, and we had it hard as, as the first one, but it depends on who you, who you ask about that. But, but Jacob has messed the situation up. And so in verse 19, what does he say? His father refused and said, I know, my son, I know what I'm doing. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Then he put Ephraim before Manasseh. 
the younger is placed before the older. Now here's the thing. Joseph should have seen this coming because in many ways, this is the pattern throughout the book of Genesis. You find this pattern building up. Genesis chapter 4, Abel finds himself ultimately above Cain. Genesis 17, Isaac above Ishmael. Genesis 27, Jacob above Esau. Genesis 41, Joseph himself ultimately placed above his brothers. He should have seen this coming. But he sets up this situation so that things will work the way that he thinks they should work. He sets up the situation so things will go the way he thinks they should go. And man, I am glad I've never done that before. This is the way life should go. And you plan it out, and you set it up. God, this is what's going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. It doesn't go the way you expect. I didn't expect the diagnosis. I didn't expect my marriage to fall apart. I didn't expect the kids to rebel. I didn't expect to lose my job. I didn't expect my season to end in this way. I didn't expect 2020 to struggle so badly. I, I, didn't, I didn't expect. We set up our lives and we have an idea in our minds of what to expect and this is what life is going to be like and it doesn't go that way. And when that happens, we have to determine something. Will it be our expectations that guide our life or will it be God's character? And what I want you to see from this passage this morning is that God's character is always greater than my expectations for how life should go. God always works according to his character, but he does not always work according to my expectations. Joseph had expectations about how this situation would work, and it did not go the way he expected, but it did go according to God's character. And we live in a world, and you live a life where things do not always go the way you expect. But in that moment, we have to say, what is the core of my life? A God who guides, a God who provides, a God who redeems, a God who is unbelievably faithful. And when our expectations run up against something that we did not expect, something has to give in that situation. In those moments, either we redefine God and his character. God's not really good. God's not really all-powerful. Maybe God's not really real to begin with. Or we submit our expectations to his character. God, I never expected life to go this way. God, I never expected my marriage or my family or my job or whatever to go this way. This was not what I expected, and frankly, it's not what I wanted, but I trust you. You are good and wise and faithful, and I will trust you. And let's just be honest, that's not an easy place to get to. That's not an easy place to get to when it feels like life is falling apart, when it feels like things are not going the way you expect. A foundation in God's word, good friends who will speak into your life, people who are keeping watch over your soul, those type of things that make the difference. Remember these great scriptures from, from God's word? Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 and 18. 
Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. All these things we expect, and they don't happen, and yet we will still rejoice in the Lord. Daniel 3, Daniel 3, 17 and 18. This is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and their faith in, in the face of the furnace. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Dad, I believe that you're able to provide a job. God, I believe that you're able to provide healing. God, I believe that you're able to restore that friendship or restore that marriage. I believe you're able to do that. But even if it doesn't happen the way I expect, I will still trust you. I will still worship you. You alone are worthy of anything that I have to give. God always works according to his character, but he does not always work according to our expectations. It hurts. I'm not saying that we don't have emotions about this. It, it hurts deeply when things do not go the way we expect. We're not pretending, we're not setting aside emotions. We're saying, no, that, that situation hurt. That's not what I wanted to happen, but God is greater, and I will trust him. And here's the best part about this. This pattern point straight to Jesus. Jesus's ministry, his life, is all about overturning expectations. Think about this passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. This God that we've learned about in the Old Testament it would be just like him to show up in a manger in a backwater town, to live in obscurity, working a blue-collar job most of, most of his life, to call a ragtag bunch of followers, to die on a cross. He's not the Messiah that people expected. Part of what Jesus runs into in his ministry, what gives him so much trouble, is he's not the type of redeemer or Messiah that anybody expected to come. He doesn't fit the bill. He doesn't work according to people's expectations. And yet, the way of the cross is a picture of God's character. That God guides us, he provides for us, he redeems, and he is faithful. And this leads straight to the cross. If you're, if you're watching at home or you're here this morning and you're uncertain about Jesus, I worry sometimes that people don't follow after Jesus because they have expectations of what he will be like, and then they find out that it's very different than that. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. That our problem is not having expectations. It's sometimes that our expectations need to be transformed, need to be changed, need to be submitted to God's character. I would even say this. I think our problem sometimes is that our expectations are too low. Not that they're too high, but that they're too low and they get misplaced in the wrong situation. Look at this beautiful passage from Ephesians 3. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Remember, unmet expectations lead to the cross, but they also, don't miss this, they go to the resurrection. Expectations that people had about how Jesus would work in the world and what God was doing, Jesus just explodes those with the resurrection. That God is doing a work in the world that is far greater than any of us could ever imagine. And here's what I want to say to us this morning as a church. Based on where we are in the world, things that are happening around us, many of you just separate things that you're dealing with in your own family, your own life. If we really believe that God's character is greater than our expectations, hear, hear me out on this. When we get to that point, it will actually raise our expectations of what God wants to do in and through us. And so at a time like this, with turmoil and uncertainty and personal difficulty that we're facing, can I ask you to do something? Raise your expectations of what God would want to do in your life during this time. Raise your expectations of what God would want to do through his church in this time. Raise your expectations to see all that God is doing in the world because we believe that he guides, we believe that he provides, we believe that he redeems, we believe that he is faithful, and we believe that his power is at work within us. And he will receive glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. God is at work. His character is at the core of who we are as people, who we are as a church, and even when life doesn't go the way we expect, we can trust him. We can follow him. And I truly believe he wants to do more in and through us than we could ever imagine. Would you bow your heads with me? This morning, we're gonna wrap up by just taking a minute to to pray, you're going to have a chance to pray silently. If you're watching at home on, on Facebook, let me encourage you during this time to pray together with your family. This will be an opportunity just to gather with your family, to pray trusting in God, pray that God would work in your life, that, that your expectation would be open to what he wants to do in your family. So take this opportunity. Um, if you if you need to reach out to someone, you can send me an email or you can put a comment there on Facebook. For those of you here in the room, let me ask you to consider, when has life not gone the way you expected? Think of a time where you said, I see life going this way and, and something happened and I, I did not expect that to happen. In that moment, are we able to say, I didn't want that, I didn't expect that, but God, I trust you. God, I believe that you are good and you are faithful and you are at work in ways that I could never imagine. Would you just submit that to the Lord? Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your job, maybe it's something else going on in your life. God, your character is the core of our lives and our church. And then pray 
that God would open up your expectations of what he wants to do in your life and through your life in the days to come. We don't want to waste this opportunity in front of us. Every day, every day is a gift from the Lord. And when crisis comes, we don't run away from that. We see it as an open door to speak about the good news of Jesus, to proclaim and display Jesus. God, I pray that for Emmaus, that our expectations of what you want to do would not be too low. God, would you raise our eyes? Would you raise our expectations? And God, would you work in such a way that only you receive the glory? God, would you do a work in our families, in our friendships, in our community, and all around the world, Father? God, would you draw people to the cross that our hope is found through Jesus? God, that this Easter would hold a significance that maybe it never has before for us. God, that this pattern from the Old Testament points us straight to the cross and then through the cross to the resurrection. The same power who raised Jesus from the dead is the same power at work in our lives and in our church. And so we trust you, God. So God, as we prepare to go out from this place, we know that you always work according to your character. And we choose to submit our expectations and our plans to you. And Father, we live with anticipation of all that you're doing in our lives and in the world. And so together, God, together we give you praise and honor and glory. And we do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here, Emmaus. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll stay in touch throughout the week. If you need prayer, I'll be up here at the front. I'd be honored to pray for you. God bless you.